heavy anointing on some of the stuff that we've been recording lately, and it, it almost scares me in a way. It, it, it literally makes me shake sometimes because uh, the physical body can only take so much, and sometimes I wonder, man, I don't, if you touch me just a little bit more, Lord, I think I'm going to explode, and, uh, but that's a good problem to have, amen. So in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 2, verse 19, here's what the word says. And I'm not going to go into all of the historical background of this message. That's really not what I do. But there's a lot of good commentaries uh, on 2 Kings that will fill you in on you know, what life was like during this time, etc. and so forth. I'll touch on a couple of high points. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19, And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray you, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees. But the water is not. Now, King James uses the word not. That, that means poisoned. And what's being said here, and then he said, and the ground is barren. The situation in the United States of America to people of the world looks like a pleasant situation. We have more than any nation on the face of the earth. We have basically all our needs met. We really don't have nearly the struggles that people in other parts of the world do. It looks like a pleasant situation to the natural, unredeemed eye. And then he says to the prophet, don't you see that? But you see, the prophet Elisha saw something different. Just like when God, I believe, looks at this country that we live in today, the greatest country on the face of the earth, make no mistake about it. But when God looks upon America, I fear that he sees us weighed in the balance and found wanting. To introduce this message, it's no easy way to do it. I've never preached this before. I've never preached it in a church. I've never brought it over radio. And so the Lord is still putting this together in my heart. But let me say this. In November of 2016, we elected Donald J. Trump as the President of the United States of America. I voted for the man, and I believe he'll be a good president. He could be a great president. I believe he's done an awesome job so far. I don't know where you are politically, and I'm really not concerned about that. But never in my 53 years have I ever seen a reaction in a, in a country, a free country. I've never seen a response to an election in this country like I've seen to this one. A friend and I were talking before the programming tonight about how perhaps President Trump is the most hated man in America, and yet he's done nothing wrong. He's doing a good job. He's doing things that would have been applauded 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and so forth. The point being... Just because we have won an election as a conservative group of people, Christians for the most part, 
are conservative, and you know how I feel about Christians who would vote for pro-abortion candidates and pro-same-sex marriage candidates, etc. and so forth, it's a disgrace for a child of God to ever cast a vote in that direction. That's my opinion. This is my show, and so I'm going to say it. But just because we have elected a president who sees things more our way than the last president did, and even really the president before that, I'll be honest with you. Just because that is the case doesn't mean that all of America's woes are over. The, the bitterness runs deep in this country. The division runs deep in our society. And America has to be prepared for when the balance of power shifts back to the left. And somebody said, well, that, that'll never happen. It may. It always has in the past. And so for a little while, we have Christians who are very rambunctious about going on social media, about writing articles, giving television interviews and radio interviews, and they're very rambunctious in their denunciation of the liberals. And I agree with them. But what you must understand is that if America does not repent, you see, I don't believe we've repented of anything as a nation. We had an election... And a lot of God's people prayed, but the church is still asleep. And we're going to get to that in a moment. If America does not repent, we are setting ourselves up by this great victory. Please understand what I'm saying. By this great victory that we have won, we are setting ourselves up for a wave of persecution that will absolutely blow your mind. When the power swings back to the left in this country, they're going to come at us with a fury. And if you don't believe it, you look at the protests. If you don't believe it, you look at the way they're acting right now. We need to be under the blood, prayed up, and obedient to God as never before in this nation. I pray you, he said, the situation of this city is pleasant. But yet the city he was talking about was Jericho. And Jericho was known in that time as the city of the curse. And by God at that. Because of the idolatry of that city. Rank idolatry where everything in the world was more important than God. And I wonder, I wonder today, if idolatry, idolatry is not even more rampant in the American heart. The idol of sports, and I'm not against sports, I, I love college football and some other stuff, and but hear me, I'm not going to miss church. Well, anyway, the idol of the almighty dollar bill, the idol of, you know, why does it have to cost 
$100 for a box of Kleenex when you go to the hospital. Why are there, I think the word is homeopathic, holistic cures that are available for some diseases, but our medical approval boards in this country will not okay them because of the idol of the greenback, the almighty dollar. Even in the American church, and I hate to say it, and I'm not trying to belittle the church, you're never going to hear an evangelist that's more pro-church than I am. But I've got to say that there are idols in the American church. There are idols standing behind pulpits in American churches. There are preachers that care more about the numbers that attend their services than they do about preaching the truth of the Word of God in this nation. And it's been that way ever since I got saved in 81. And I can remember the prophets of God warning and warning and warning even then, but yet American Christians have turned a deaf ear to the warning for at least 36 years. Not only was Jericho cursed by God because of idolatry, but the world is cursed because of sin. And we don't ever want to forget that as Christians. We don't want to get too comfortable here. Because there will come a judgment day. What kind of spiritual crop are we producing as a church in the United States of America? Are we slumbering and asleep at the wheel and we have become so concerned about Jesus is coming back, yay, that we let our neighbors go to hell because we have so many other things to do that we can't share Christ with them? We, do, do we preach such a watered-down gospel to where it is immune and doesn't take when it hits the human heart? Have you ever gotten a flu shot? I don't get them myself. I know some people, I, I know one person that got a flu shot and is, is in a wheelchair now because of it. But have you ever gotten any type of a shot and it didn't take? Because the dosage in it wasn't high enough? Is that what the American gospel is like today? I was reading a study where many of the churches in Africa, and, and God loves the African people. Jesus died for the African people. And for centuries we've been sending missionaries to Africa. And before us, England sent missionaries to Africa. And most of their churches today what they're gleaning from their association with the American church is the gospel of greed. Preaching a prosperity gospel, not concerned about whether souls are being saved, only concerned about do they get that nice car. It's an idol in the American church, and that idol is being exported to churches all around the world today. Is it possible that the gospel that's being preached doesn't have enough of the true purity of gospel in it to take when it hits the human heart? And are people going to church 
in order to discover some way to have a better life and less stress and more money? Or do they go to church because they're sinners and they need to get it right with God before it's too late? And I long for the days of a Whitefield. I long for the days of a Charles Finney and a John Wesley. Hallelujah to God that will stand and cry out, Repent! Because judgment is soon to come. And whether or not Christ comes back in our lifetime, judgment will come to us very, very soon because we've only got so many days left. When you're young... You think you're going to live forever. And it never dawns on some people until the day you come down to die. Until the day you come down and there's no more opportunity left. God help the preachers that only preached prosperity and luxury and ease and never touched on sin and never touched on that which separates men from a holy God. You see, the Bible says that the cherubim cry in His presence, holy, holy, holy. He's a thrice holy God. And the emphasis on the number three there is the, the complete unity of perfection, of holiness. That is the God we serve. And God cannot stand in the presence of sin. He hates sin. He will not look upon sin. That's why He sent Jesus to the cross. And the message of the Gospel is so simple. It's, so, it, it, it's, it's complicated, but yet it's so simple that a little child can understand it. If you turn from sin and place faith in Christ, you can be saved. It has absolutely nothing to do with the house you live in, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, or the money in your bank account. I do believe God's a blesser. And I do believe the Scripture when it says, Give and it shall be given unto you. I believe in all of that. But as a whole, the focus of the American church, and God help me for saying this, God has lost two generations in this country of the United States of America. And we are seeing the results of it in the streets of the cities of our nation right now. And it's not going to get better. There's, there's, listen, there's going to be people, there's going to be a major revival as, as far as an outpouring of the Spirit to save all those who are willing. But society as a whole is gravitating, rushing pell-mell to judgment, even as we speak. And we don't need more preachers to come along and bop you on the head and comfort you and tell you that everything is okay. Everything is not okay. We need a generation that will rise up as Keith Green, the prophet of God, said in that song, who are bananas for Jesus who are out of their minds and into the mind of Christ, who will say no to the things of this world that keeps us captive and, and becomes idols in our lives, and we don't want to incur the curse of God. We will turn our back on this world, and we will preach the truth, 
if they drag us off in chains, if they lock us in a dungeon, or if they take our very lives, we will preach the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven, and he will receive whosoever will come. Let's look a little more. Let me, let me get back to reading. I forgot about reading my text. The men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray you, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees. But the water is poisoned and the ground is barren. What is wrong with this dirt that it produces such a bitter crop? What is wrong with the soils of our hearts that it produces such a bitter crop in his sight? And he said, bring me a new cruise. This cruise is a vessel. It was made of clay. It's a symbol of the body of Jesus Christ. The sinless body that would receive stripes upon his back. And the lictor's lash would tear his flesh open. And the blood would pour from his sinless body. And then it says, and put salt in it. And the salt is the Word of God in all of its power, in all of its purity, in all of its holiness. And they brought it to Him. And He went forth unto the spring of the waters, and He cast the salt in there. He cast the salt in those waters. I want to read a note from the Expositor's Study Bible where it says, The Word of God must be cast into the poison spring. There's no other answer, and that's the reason it's imperative that the gospel of Jesus Christ be taken to the whole world. And let me say this. It's great to want to go to the whole world. It's an awesome dream. It's, a, it's an awesome vision to have to go to the whole world. But have we walked across the street yet? Have we been downtown yet? Are the people in our own homes under the constant intercession of the saints of God? Yes, the only hope for anywhere in the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, preached without compromise, without fear, and without favor. You see, the Bible curries no favor with any one of us. We all must subject ourselves to its, its words, and God doesn't let any of us off the hook, so to speak. The word applies to every one of us, and it's the only hope we have. But we have a sleeping church today, who feels comfortable, and, and please hear how I mean this. Do we, fee, do we feel comfortable throwing money at nations of the world or at problems in our own country of America, but and it ameliorates our conscience so that we don't have to go? And I'm not talking about, you know, somebody say, well, everybody's not called to be a missionary. No, 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 I know that. But money is not the answer to everything. That's what I'm telling you. 
Jesus is the answer to everything. Jesus is the answer to everything. And thank God, we thank God for every dollar that people give. And we need more. But we have to be willing in our world, in our circle of influence, in our community, in our state, in our nation, and in our world, we have to be willing to suffer the loss of all things if need be in order to take this message to those who are dying without God and on their way to hell. You see, we do it so often when it's convenient. We have a convenience-driven Christianity that people are not excited about revival. Even though they say they are and they play fast music, that doesn't mean there's an excitement there that's born of the Holy Spirit. Because they don't go. And when they do go, they don't preach. I know not everybody. Please, just just don't even write me any letters. You know, picking apart every little statement that's made. I get it. I get my share of those. Don't worry. I, I can take it, but just save yourself the headache because I'm not, I probably won't even read it. We need a revival, but we need something that's real. We need something that's genuine. We need to feel the weight of His holiness in our hearts and lives once again. We need to feel the power of His love that drives us to our knees and stop looking at the superficial of this pleasant place, this pleasant situation, this pleasant life that we have. And He went forth and He cast... He went forth to the spring and he cast the salt in there and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters and there shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. The only hope for our nation is to repent. I want to read something to you that Thomas Watson, a great Puritan preacher of the 1600s said. And I'm going to tell you, you don't hear too much of this kind of preaching anymore. I'm actually going to do some entire podcast just dealing with paragraphs or chapters from some of their books because it's so powerful and so deep. The title of the book is not Your Best Night Life Now or You're All That. The title of the book is The Doctrine of Repentance. Doctrine has become a dirty word in our churches, but it's not a dirty word. And the reason that we have no more discernment than we do is because we have no more doctrine than we do being proclaimed from our pulpits anymore. Because everybody wants the self-help stuff. I'm, I'm telling you that we're not ready for what is coming. We're not ready for what's just ahead as a, as a whole, as a church in this nation. In order to get ready, there must be repentance. Here's what Thomas Watson said. Again, he's a Puritan from the 1600s. He says, The two great graces that are essential to a saint in this life are faith and repentance. That's the message of the cross. So for those of you who have wondered, was the message of the cross preached in the 1600s? Absolutely. These are the two wings by which the saint will fly to heaven. Faith and repentance 
preserve the spiritual life as heat and water preserve the physical life. The grace that I'm going to discuss in this book is repentance. Repentance is never out of season. It is as of frequent use as an artificer's tool or a soldier's weapon. You think of what he's saying. People think, well, I just repent one time. I, I, I come to Christ and I get saved and then it's all done. No, no. Repentance is a lifestyle. Because each one of us fails the Lord in some way. He goes on to say, do not fear the working of repentance. Chrysostom said, strike your soul, smite it, and it will escape death by your stroke. How happy it would be if we were more deeply affected with our sin, and if our eyes would swim in tears of repentance. We may clearly see the Spirit of God moving in the waters of repentance, which, though troubled, are yet pure. The purest waters that you can swim in, according to Watson, are the waters of repentance. And you will never be more close to God. You will never be more close to God than that moment when you acknowledge before Him your sin and your need of Him. You know the scripture that says, Be thou perfect as your Father is perfect. It's in Matthew's Gospel. I can't remember the address. You're never more perfect, never more perfect, than the moment you humble yourself and admit your need for Jesus Christ. And not just to get saved. That's the starting point, and that's the entryway. But repentance is the lifestyle of a believer. We don't just shrug things off and wait for a more opportune time to deal with it and to take care of it. But repentance, as David Wilkerson has often said when he was alive, we, we have a church that doesn't know what repentance is. We have a church that you never hear the word in the sermons from the pulpits of our land anymore. And again, I know not everyone. Praise God, there are some that preach it. But far too many were talking about how pleasant our situation is. We're talking about the great hope we have for tomorrow. And hey, we need hope. And God is a God of hope. And there is hope. But you know, there, there's, there comes a time when hope is not the thing you need the most. We need hope. But if America doesn't repent, we are on a collision course with judgment. And if a sleeping church doesn't wake up and stop playing its foolish little games of religion and go out and begin to preach the gospel to the lost... In your church, does your, does your church consistently, year after year after year after year, preach to the choir? Or do you go out and preach to the lost? Because by nature, by its very nature, the church is an organism that it is intended to grow. 
And in far too many cases, we see congregations and we see ministries, pastors, that are just very, very comfortable with what they have. And they don't want to rock the boat. And they don't want to make waves. And they don't want to take a stand on an issue. Well, that's not growth. And that's not healthy. And I don't care if your church has 5,000 people in it. If nobody's getting saved, if there's no repentance, if there's no changed lives, if there's no broken hearts over the sin of a lost and dying world, then God's not there. And all you have is a club where you come together and you talk about the good old days. And you talk about how wonderful things used to be. Well, they can be that way again if we're willing to pray and pay the price. The waters were healed unto this very day according to the saying of Elisha which he spoke. Now I want you to notice in the 23rd verse. And he went up from there unto Bethel. Bethel means house of God. And as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said unto him, Go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the woods and tore forty and two children of them. And he went from thence to Mount Carmel and from thence he returned to Samaria. Ladies and gentlemen, it's with a broken heart that I tell you today that we live in a generation, America has raised a generation that mocks the prophets of God. Mocks them. I mean, they are mocking Franklin Graham. They mocked David Wilkerson. Christians even. Said he was crazy laughed at him over some of the prophecies the Lord gave him. Nobody's laughing now. There's going to come a day and there's a portion of our society right now that mocks the church because we are so weak and we are so ineffective. And this mocking of the prophets of God is, is in effect mocking God. Mocking God. And it always brings judgment. I've only scratched the surface of this message tonight, but I want to leave you with this before we go back into some music. I believe it's I don't believe you're here by accident. And not not just this program, but any of the ones that are preaching the truth of the word of God. I believe the call is clear for the time that we're living in. We need to bathe our leaders in prayer. We need to pray like we've never prayed before. And I'm not talking about it as from a works perspective, but just out of a heart that longs for a move of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray as we've never prayed before. And I mean, we need to do it. We don't need to just hear it preached in a sermon and, and say, yes, that's right. We need to really commit to seeking God 
for this great nation that we live in, for this great country, the greatest on the face of the earth, this pleasant place, but this pleasant place that's mocking the prophets. Look how they treat the president. No respect even for the office anymore. We need to wake up as a church. We need to wake up. We need to hit the streets. And we need to hit the supermarkets and the, the schools. We need to hit the church house with the simple, simple truth of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we need to pray like never before that God will move and forgive us and move on our behalf. Now somebody said, well, you know, man, I really didn't expect to tune in and hear this tonight. I expected something else. Well, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm an evangelist. That's the way my heart is bent. We spend all our time salting one another. For what? Don't we have enough strength yet? We've got notebooks full of sermon notes. Don't we have enough hope yet? Don't we know how don't we know where to go to as King David did to encourage ourselves in the Lord? Don't we know how to do that yet? Isn't it time to focus our attentions on the lost? Isn't it time to focus our attention on calling a nation back? to God because I'm telling you tonight with a broken heart America did not return to God portions of America did but if you look at it it's split right down the middle there's a lot of work to do there's no time for pastors who hold their people back because they're worried about who gets the credit. There's no time to fudge what we're doing in the kingdom. There's time now to be honest, be open, and be sincere, and be serious as serious can be, and cry out to God for a move of His Spirit in this nation. I'm telling you, that's what we need. What we've had didn't work, did it? The soft, lukewarm Christianity that we've grown accustomed to, where preachers compete with one another, it hasn't worked. It hasn't changed society. And it won't. We need the altar of prayer. We need the altars of prayer opened in our churches once again. And we need pastors who, who are willing to release their people into ministry. Because God has a, a purpose for each one of you under the sound of my voice. And in reality, every Christian there is. God has a purpose for you. And the leadership needs to allow that purpose to develop. Because right now, 
if we don't see the church in America repent, and if we don't see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when the power shifts back to the left, I don't know if it'll be four years, eight years, 12 years, 16 years. I don't have that information. But when it does, they're going to come at us with a fury. And we are so used to comfort and we are so used to ease that you're going to see what the Bible describes as a great falling away. A great defection from the faith because they won't be able to stand up under the persecution. And I didn't come here today armed with all these things that I'd like to say. And, and like I said, this is the first time I've attempted to preach this. I wrote an article a few years back about a prayer from the church in China. The Chinese church has grown. Oh, it's grown. It, it, it makes our church growth programs look sick. And really, uh, most of the church growth strategies that, that preachers study, they are sick. You know how the early church grew? They preached the Word of God Almighty. They preached Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And people came. And in one sermon, 3,000 people got saved at one time. And that was just one example given of what happened consistently during the time of the early church because they preached the blood of Jesus Christ. They preached repentance and they preached faith. And I'm not talking about selfish faith. They preached repentance of sin and faith toward Christ. That's, a, that's your church growth program. It's the only one you need. That and open your prayer altars. We're good at having concert shows and I love them. I'm, I'm involved in a lot of them. We're good at having entertainment. We're good at having shows. We're good at doing this. We're good at doing that. But where is the altar of prayer and as I close before we go back into the music and then I'm going to come back with some announcements in a few moments I want to encourage you today after having spoke this into the atmosphere I want to encourage you today please please I, I'm, I'm literally begging you if you call yourself a saint of God if you call yourself a believer I'm imploring you, I'm begging you, please seek the face of God as you have never sought it. Cry out to Him in repentance for this nation and begin to share your testimony and your faith every opportunity that, that presents itself to you. Because one day soon, opportunities are over. As I close... Just a few days ago, a cousin that I never knew, I never met him, Bill Paxton, found out that his last opportunity had come. I don't know Bill. I don't know if Bill was saved or not. I don't know. But I know that Here's what I know, friends. There is no guarantee of tomorrow. And I've often wondered, did anybody try to reach him?
There's no opportunity, there's no guarantee for any of us that we're going to have tomorrow. We're saved and, and we love the Lord and God has put His great purpose within us. Please, don't put it off thinking that you will have an indefinite number of opportunities because you do not. In an instant, you could be in eternity. Make it right with God. Keep it right with God. And keep that prayer going forth as a testimony to your love for the Lord in the hour in which we live. Because we're living in a critical time. We're living in a time where the games have to stop. You hear me, preacher? These little games of competition and credit has to stop. The building ivory towers of statues of memorials to yourself has to stop. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to be willing right now to leave everything else behind for the sake of the call of God. And I believe that God has stirred these same things in many of you that are listening right now. I believe there's an army out there. I believe there's a people within a people, within a people, within a people that will reach this generation and bring in the last harvest before Jesus Christ returns. I've done my best to deliver my heart tonight. I've done it poorly. As this message continues to grow and build and build and build, we'll be coming to you again. But do we have humble hearts and wet eyes for a generation that needs to hear the true gospel, not some watered-down celebrity version of it. I'm so sick and tired of Christian celebrity. Who cares? Do we have humble hearts and wet eyes or do we have hardened hearts and dry eyes while the nation that we love is in such obvious upheaval, such obvious distress? The Bible says that literally the earth is crying because of the sins of men. And we have the only solution the only answer, and we've got to tell it, even if they take our lives, we've got to tell it, because one day it will be worth it all. And there's a great getting up day that's just ahead. I'll be back in just a minute. Over.